Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. It's always an honor and pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, as I uh, got my co-host on, Pastor Michael Teddy, he's with me. Uh, let me turn it over to uh, Pastor Michael a little bit and see what he's been doing lately. So, Michael, I'm going to pass it over to you, and then we'll get into our topic this morning. Sounds great. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to do a podcast again. It's been a while. Um, so it's a joy to be able to be doing this. Uh, my name is Michael Teddy. You can uh, reach out to me at michaelteddy at gmail.com. You can uh, check out our church. Uh, I pastor a small church in the southern tip of India, Redemption Hill Church in the city of Trivandrum, in the southern tip of India. It's in the state of Kerala. So if ever you plan for a visit, you have to come by and spend some time with us. Um so I've been busy with the church. I've been busy with, it was my sister-in-law's wedding. Um, so we were pretty busy with that for a while. And uh, uh, and, as, and our church is growing. So we've reached a point where we've uh, kind of uh, hit the max size of people that we can seat in our hall. And so we're thinking about what to do next. Do we get more chairs and uh, stuff the hall up even more? Or do we go out and get a hall and uh, move out. And so a lot of wonderful things happening. We did a few events. Uh, so God's been good and uh, it's been great. Praise the Lord. Baby's doing well. Baby's doing well. Uh, baby number two is going to come in August. Yes. Mid-August. Praise the Lord. Okay. So uh, anyway, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. Uh, if you want to shout out to me, Pastor Michael gave you his email. If you want to pick his brain a little, because I'm going to pick his brain this, this morning. We are in the epistle of James and I know we're somewhere in the fifth chapter. We'll eventually get back to that. But you know, I was, I was thinking this morning, I do want to shout out to Ashuk. He's getting married. I think in a week, Michael, something like that, or 10 days or whatever. Um, July 7th. Yeah, July 7th, you'll be performing the wedding. Let's pray for him. We he had some technical difficulties this morning or we would have had him on. So um, next time we speak to him, he'll probably be married. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so I got a list of terms here that I want to ask Pastor Michael, and we'll discuss them. You know, just a little, you know, well, let me just do it instead of explain it. So my first question is this question concerns creation. Now, I believe in a young earth. I believe that the Bible is clear that the earth was created in seven days. We know people that talk about gap theories and things like that. But here's my question. Can a Christian believe that the earth was created? Maybe there was a gap theory or things of that nature. Is this a salvational issue? And if you want to share your view on creation, that's fine. But the main question is, can you believe in an old earth and still be a Christian? Uh, it's a good question. Um, so I know I know um, a few Christians who are close to me who 
hold to an old earth position um some who hold to theistic evolution and trying to bridge between science and um, the biblical narrative of creation it's it's quite interesting because i think that not only can can people have an alternate understanding of this and still be christian in history we know people or we know church fathers or forefathers so to speak who held to positions that were radically you know different or radically something that we would not you know today be accustomed to saying okay that's a christian position i think i think people are flawed and therefore people can have very wrong beliefs and still be christian i don't think we are saved by perfect theology i don't think saved people have a perfect theology the real question then is does the belief in any of these alternatives directly af- affect the belief of the person of christ the belief of the gospel of jesus christ because i i i was really encouraged by watching a sermon clip of alister beg was talking about the thief on the cross when he goes to heaven and they ask him how did you you know how did you come to heaven how many bible studies did you attend and uh, what do you know about you know the minor prophets and what all questions you could have asked him and he may not have known any of all of that <laughs> and so he was talking about this you know the fictitious kind of a picture and imagery of peter asking him how on earth did you end up in heaven if you don't know any of that and he basically looks at peter and said the man on the middle cross said i could come <laughs> right and that's a, that's a wonderful picture because that's the authority of christ to save that he can actually save somebody on their deathbed with just the message of the gospel you know i, I was i remember when uh, listening to that with alice the beg <laughs> and the, and when he went up to heaven they says now can you tell me about justification by faith and he says i yeah. i don't even know what that is he said yeah <laughs> uh, how did you get here the man in the middle told me i can come yeah. okay so yeah i i think that uh what pastor michael said is profound um you know like i said this is not a salvational issue um again so great answer let me say this uh, that is a great pastoral answer he's not waffling on his view but he's given room for alternate views on that okay uh so i give you that's about you got about a 95 on that one good job pastor good job <laughs> michael okay so my next question is tell me the difference if there is a difference between election and predestination how's that for right. a, how's that for a yeah. loaded question <laughs> uh yeah so uh when we when we specific i mean predestination is a big topic culturally here where we are it's a new topic um and it's con- it's been considerably making its rounds in many church circles and uh, you know it's naturally got that question what does predestination mean and uh, we have in the book of romans paul specifically talking about how those whom he predestined he called and those whom he called he justified and he goes through a narrative which suggests that god has predetermined those whom he saves in ephesians you have uh, paul again writing 
that God chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. And uh, predestination is, a sh is, is essentially uh, God's predetermination of those whom he chooses to rescue, um, those whom he chooses to save. When the Jews were following Jesus and he was uh, preaching the gospel message and uh, bringing the kingdom to the people, they reject his words. And Jesus responds by saying, the reason you reject my words is because you cannot believe unless the father draws you. Unless the father draws you and any of whom the father has given into my hand, it is his will that I lose none of them. And so the biblical picture constantly is God has come into a world where people are destined for hell. People are destined for destruction because the wages of sin is death. And no, not one is righteous. So the Bible hammers in that truth repeatedly that all we deserve is God's judgment. But God in his grace and mercy has predetermined to save a people for himself. In, in the chapter 9 of Romans, he has chosen to reserve for himself vessels of honor and vessels of destruction. So God's come into the world to save a few people and he does so by predetermining those whom he will save. And this is the uh, reformed position on it. And election then is the fact that God chooses of his own will those particular individuals and he chooses them unconditionally without any condition. Okay, so now I agree, obviously, but there is something in the same way all that the Father uh, draws to me, I will no wise cast out. But there's also the text that says, come to me, or you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you see this, what Spurgeon calls this etinomy of God's sovereignty. And I like to use the term human responsibility, because I do have a, a next, another term that we're going to talk about. So how do we, and now, now Spurgeon says, I mean, obviously the Bible says, come to me, all you are heavy laden. And then the Bible also says, nobody can come unless the father you know, draws him and, and gives him. So how do we, as good theologians, um, look at the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, both are in the Bible, right, right, Pastor Michael? Um, yes, and, and those are tough plays. So how would we exegete that? And how do we, and, and uh, now let me just give you what Spurgeon said, but obviously, um, he says, those things you can't put together, they're both there. Agreed, uh, different take on that, or, you know. Yeah, I think it was it was John MacArthur also who, who said that we just can't answer that question with the kind of clarity people expect to have. And I'm more or less in agreement with that. And, and, the, prob and the thing is, one of the things I teach the uh, people in my church is I encourage them to be okay with mysteries. I encourage them to be, you know, accepting of mystery. So let's take the concept of the Trinity, right? We, uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the understanding that God is triune is very much there in the Bible. Now, we have one being in three persons. Now, that is something we can describe, but that's not something we can comprehend 
or grasp the reality of what that looks like, but we know that it is true. And so truth does not often require you to have all that clarity to know every nook and corner of that reality. And in the same way, it, I think, applies for the subject of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. I don't know if it's Spurgeon uh, who said that it's like the two, two tracks, right? It's the two rails on the same track, which run parallel, that Spurgeon was talking about. That way off, if you look into the distance, into the horizon, they appear to meet. But no matter how much you travel on that, you don't reach the point where it meets. And so life on earth, it'll always look together and parallel. But out there in the great distance, one day they will meet. And so it is a mystery that uh, God is entirely sovereign and man is entirely responsible for his actions. So uh, in Second uh, Corinthians, uh, the, the last verse of Second Corinthians in the benediction is probably the clearest look-see to the Trinity. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I, what Pastor Michael is saying, to try to explain that, but, but here we do see, I think, right, a, a, a look-see or a benediction on the triune God there, but to try to explain. And you know, when people use, well, it's like an egg, and no, I don't like those terms. I think we want to be careful uh, to, you know, just make it look. Whatever, whatever analogy people come up with regarding the Trinity, they're probably wrong. They're probably leaning towards one or the other heresy. The thing that we have to understand about the Trinity is that the Trinity is entirely unique. There is there is no analogy that we can come up with that would aptly capture what the Trinity is. It's always break. So uh, if you come up with one or the other analogies, the best thing to know is that's, that's probably not what the Trinity is. Uh, like Ashok likes to say, uh, we can define the Trinity best by defining what it is not rather than what it is. <laughs> I like that. Uh, let me see what we got here. Okay, so here's something. Now, this is, um, and again, we've been coming up with these questions. This is, you okay with this, Pastor Michael? It's pretty cool, right? I mean, this is this is good stuff. Um, I love I, doing this. We had we had a Q&A in our Bible study today. So I've, I've been doing Q&As throughout the day. So <laughs> I'm in the Q&A mode today. Uh, good, good job. So can you, maybe you can bring up a couple, maybe you'll bring up a couple, which you discussed. How's that? And we'll do this first. Okay. Yeah. So here's one. Most churches, I want to be careful here, but I want to, I want to be able to look at things scripturally and we shouldn't be afraid to do that. Most churches are, um, I don't want to say most churches, but many churches, how's that? Many, most same thing, right? Um, Use what they call a sinner's prayer. Repeat after me, uh, this and that. So my issue, I'm, and I want to be careful here. My issue is I don't see a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Now, we know that the Bible is clear, repent and believe the gospel. You see in Romans 9, it talks about, like you said, the predestination and election of God. And then, um, you know, Romans 10 tells you you got to believe, right? I mean, so, but I don't see this repeat after me type of rote 
you know, this and that sign on the line. And, 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 and the, and the issue with that is I know when people say these prayers, they're counted as being saved. You know, we had 500 people or 200 people walk an aisle and say a prayer. And I want to be careful here, but I'm, I'm just saying, what is your view on, and I put in air quotes, the sinner's prayer? Is that a fair question? It is. It is. Um, so I, I come, I come from a part of the world where if you share the gospel to a person and they come to believe in Jesus Christ, it could be expected that they don't know how to pray. And I've met a lot of people like that, where, uh, you could, you could ask them to say a word of prayer and they, and they just don't know how to do it. It might seem trivial, uh, but. I, you know, in fact, I know a lot of people who belong to some of the Eastern Orthodox churches here who have a strict liturgy of prayer. They can recite those prayers, but if you ask them to pray or by themselves, they just don't know how to pray. They don't, they've never done it before. I remember many times when I was in college, uh, where I met my wife, the first few interactions that we used to have about the gospel. And this is way before we, we were interested in each other. Um, I have asked her openly, do you, have you, do you pray? It was very interesting that she just didn't know how to pray. And, you know, and uh, it was not something that she was used to or accustomed to in terms of verbalizing herself. And that might surprise a lot of people, but there's a lot of people like that. So here, if you actually share the gospel and people come to faith, and you ask them to pray a prayer of repentance. They just don't know how to do it. You know, and so I just think context matters. The disciples approached Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Amen. Because they were very interested in the way he was praying. And clearly they prayed and they, they were not doing it. They felt they weren't doing it right. And Jesus did not respond to them by saying, just close your eyes. Say what comes to your heart to the father. He didn't respond that way. He taught them how to pray. He gave them words to say. He said, pray in this manner. And he gave them a way to pray. And he taught it for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if the disciples, after hearing that, would have repeated many of those lines themselves. In fact, you know, if you spend a lot of time with prayerful brothers or sisters in the church, and they pray often, quite often you pick up on the same kind of verbs and phrases that they use, and it becomes a part of your own prayer. So I don't think there's anything wrong in teaching someone words to say, how to say them, and encouraging them. So I would teach Ethan to pray by repeating after me. And I think when he does that at a very young age, uh, I'm training him to pray. Now, I will wean him off repeat after me to praying his own prayers. Uh, but that's a good place to start for someone who is a baby in the faith, someone who's very new to the faith. So I don't have technically a problem necessarily with the sinner's prayer. If it's a prayer prayed with that kind of a context, with that kind of a, but I do agree that I, that I don't like the formula that it has become where you do a meeting and then you ask people if they love Jesus and they want to receive Jesus into their heart uh, there's no call. In many cases, there's no call to seeing their sin. There's no call to sorrow. There's no call to repentance. It's a magical picture of Christ. It's a 
promise of prosperity. It's a promise of all sorts of blessing. Do you want to receive Jesus? If you want to receive Jesus, you don't have to do anything. Just repeat this prayer after me and I'll declare you safe. And that's just a sinful practice. But I think it's an abuse of what would otherwise be a good way to help people learn how to pray. And this is the abusive way of doing it. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that any sort of teaching someone how to pray by repeating your words is sinful. I've done that for people who've needed that. And today they pray by themselves and they don't need it. So I think the context for that matters. Yeah, very well said. And I think, you know, we're a couple of pastors and the pastor has to be a theologian. I think that's really important. Uh, and I, I know Pastor Michael agrees. But, and theology matters. Yeah. There are secondary and tertiary issues that we have to be really careful especially when you're dealing with people in the church that maybe didn't go to seminary or doesn't know the, you know, doctrines of grace. And like Michael says, doesn't know how to pray. Well, listen, this is the first segment. Uh, Pastor Michael, would you come back one more time? We got to, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll we deal with these more. a couple of more questions. And I'm sure. really enjoying this. I, I hope you are listening to Street Talk Theology here with Pastor Michael Teddy, Dominic Romaldi. So I am interested before we, because we got a, a couple of minutes, but when you see and Michael's little boy, man, you just want to pick him up and hug him, man. So tell me some of the things you're telling Ethan, man. That's, <laughs> that that so, little so, boy, man, I just, is he talking now or? So he, he can say a few words. He understands us very well. So we can give him instructions and he'll do it. You know, he'll pick up on what we are saying and he'll do exactly what we're asking him. And so he's, he's, you know, we, we're having a lot of uh, interactions. So he's learned to say a few things or at least mumble a few words which sound <laughs> similar. So he knows how to say, I love you. Yeah, you know, just mumble it out. He knows how to say, I love you. He knows how to say uh, in Malayalam, in our local language here, it's Ishopacha, which means uh, it's, it's basically a loving way of calling Jesus. Right. It's a, it's a way of, it's a respectful way of calling the name of Jesus for kids <laughs> and kids use that. So he knows that. And then he knows how to say amen. Right. And so just those three kind of things help me to just ask him to say, Isha Pacha, I love you. Amen. You know, and so he does that. I bet he knows how to get your attention when he's hungry. Oh, yes. Yes. He knows, he he knows how to get my attention. Yeah. He knows how to get my attention even when I preach. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Pastor Dominic here in um, Desert Sky Baptist Church in uh, Casa Grande, Arizona. So again, this is Street Talk Theology. We take theology and we bring it to the streets. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.